Welcome back to another episode of the Get in the Cashflow Game with K&K. This week, we had a, a brother, well, more of a brother for Kenny and friend. He's not really his brother, but he's, he's basically like family. Uh, his name is Judd Rosen. Honestly, he is like a badass, scary personal injury attorney. He's the nicest, sweetest scary. guy ever. But I think, you know, like- Because he's if, great at what he does. Yeah, if you had to go up against Judd, like you don't want to do that, honestly. I, I haven't seen his courtroom like argument voice, but it seems like it would be- Pretty tough. And quite frankly, he has like the track record to back it up. Uh, so Judd is an extremely successful attorney in, in Florida, in Miami. Um, he's defeated some of the largest insurance companies and corporations in the U.S. He's won substantial financial set settlements for his clients. He's a proud magna cum laude graduate of University of Miami School of Law. Um, and he's not only dedicated to winning cases, but also providing excellent service and ensuring each and every client is tr treated like a valued member of the firm's family. If you go on online and see this guy's reviews for the firm, they have like five-star reviews. 750. 750, which is kind of wild. I mean, I can't, I don't know many attorneys that have that many five-star reviews. In fact, I think they have more like one-star reviews usually than five. So I think that just speaks to his character, the kind of person that he is. And I feel like Judd is the same person in his personal life as he is with his clients, like just caring, compassionate, just a really good person. You feel that from him the minute that you meet him. I'm sure a person on the other side might not necessarily feel that way. But if you're his client, um, yeah, the reviews I literally yeah. read through, uh, before this, a lot of reviews, you know, compassion, caring, um, getting it done, kind, family, loving, like you just don't get that. You can't yeah. fake 750 five-star reviews. Yeah. And, and also people might be wondering why the heck we have a personal injury attorney on the show. Why is that Kenny? Yeah. I mean, obviously I would always love to have Judd come on because, um, there's so many things we can learn from like him just from a business standpoint. Um, but one of the things I want to have him on is why not, why not better to talk to number one, an attorney that, um, understands liability, understands what your liability could be, how he could break through that liability and also give us some tips and tricks and kind of open up the vault a little bit, which I feel like he did, which is nice enough to tell us, um, how we should be protecting ourselves. And basically, whether you're like a real estate investor or you're a business owner, there's a lot of liability a, in your business. Or, or we're not, we're, you're gonna have to listen. When we asked him what was probably the biggest piece of advice, it was not what you think. It was something simple on your insurance that most people do not have enough of. And I'm not gonna give it away because you gotta listen. And we were, I'm like, that's what it is. That's what it is, right? It's like a simple insurance that you do not have that you should have. But why, um, how you might've heard of Judd or you probably have heard of this case, which literally I feel like was, I've definitely heard around the US, probably around the world, is the condo collapse, seaside condo collapse in Miami. So, and that um, date basically changed the way that lenders look at condo buildings. So that's, it's definitely tied to real estate. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can apply any of the, the things that Judd, the clients that Judd represents to your life. Yeah. I mean, this was, uh, you know, it's a great podcast to listen to. He definitely dives in a little bit about the case. Um, definitely, you know, it's emotional. It was emotional for him. Not only are you an attorney, um, and by the way, that case I think was 1.2 billion. Judd's, um, him and his firm, I think was 600 million of that, which is- What they got, what yeah, they won for the victims. What they won for the victims. Yeah. But 98 people died. So you have to literally go through 
whoever you're representing, you have to listen to the stories. You have to listen to the case. You got to go through everything. So it's traumatic. And also like how widely the, the lawsuit spanned, like to people who didn't own the building, weren't involved with the building, all this yeah, kind of stuff. So too much away, yeah, but so not if what you're, you think. It but if you're a property that. owner, these are the kinds of things yeah. that you really want to think about. You want to make sure that you're insured properly. You want to hear it straight from someone who represents people and victims of these kind of tragic events so that you can, can, you know, cover yourself. Cause like he said, I don't think any of us or most of us are going out, like, you know, trying to cause harm to people, but these things do happen and you want to make sure that you're properly covered. You want to a try to prevent it, but B, if something does happen, you want to be properly insured, covered, you want to understand your liability. Yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, I would love to have somehow let this go viral because that case, like Crystal said, it's really, um, that rocked a lot of people. I think Florida actually, I think they sent out like letters or something in the state where you had to go and very, if you have a building that's older, you had to go get a, I think some type of uh, engineer report to make sure the, the building structure and sound. Um, I know I've talked to lenders that said Florida's like for lending is a problem and all this stuff. And so Fannie and Freddie, they've changed how they, you fill out an HOA. If it says this building in litigation, you used to say yes or no. Now it says this building in litigation, pre-litigation, work out. Da, da, da. And basically they're not even answering it. They're saying see attached, like a memo from their attorney. So this is change of liability. Not only is Judd, um, badass business guy running a badass firm, closing cases, helping families out. He also, um, he's involved with, you know, all types of medical malpractice, wrong death, automobile injuries, um, product liability. He's also, um, teaches people lectures, stuff like that. A lot of interviewing, a lot of coaching, helping people. He, and honestly, we're, I mean, I didn't know. I've never sat here and asked him as I've known him forever. It's why do you do this? What's the deal? And you can really tell, like, we've been around long enough. Like, he really is passionate about what he does, just kind of like we are. And you can tell. And that's why he's the best at what he does. But he goes into why he's so great, some tactical things about how do you get 750 reviews, what kind of company culture. So there's a lot of things we dive into, but you guys got to listen to this. If you own property, you should listen to this. If you're driving a car down the street, you should listen to this. Without further ado, my brother from another mother, Judd. If you're a real estate investor, you know that aside from cash flow, you also get huge tax benefits by investing in real estate. But are you taking full advantage of all the potential tax benefits? We've been working with Tim Looney at CSSI for a few years now, and he's saved us and our clients hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in taxes doing cost segregation studies on our properties. Let me give you an example. We bought a property in 2019. If we had just used straight line depreciation method, we would have saved about $18,750 on our taxes. But because we did a cost seg, we saved $258,000 in the first year. That's $239,350 more in the first year alone. The other great thing is if you're classified as a real estate professional, you can apply this to other sources of income like your W-2 income or 1099 income, and you can also roll over any unused depreciation to future years. If you've owned your properties for a few years already, don't worry, you can still do a cost seg and save big on your taxes. This isn't tax advice, so consult your CPA to see if you qualify to take advantage of these benefits. And if you're interested in learning more, listen to episode 104 with Tim Looney. You can call or text Tim at 318-469-9861 to schedule a complimentary property analysis and make sure that you mention that you were referred by Kenny and Crystal. 
What's up, guys? We've got Judd Rose in the house. So we're going to get a brief description. So Judd is a trial attorney from Miami, a.k.a. my brother from another mother. Um, so you're probably asking me, why in the world do we have a trial attorney in here? Um, and so just to jump in, Judd obviously uh, has been involved in many, many cases over his career. Recently, there was a massive case, which you guys all heard about. It was uh, the condo collapse in Florida, and there was a massive uh, with the B, $1 billion plus settlement. Um, so we're going to dive into that. But really today, I wanted to talk about his background and the type of law he goes into, but really is liability. So all of us that own property, um, there's liability there, and we all think we're covered or not covered. Well, what better to have is Judd here that basically just went through an entire, like, probably one of the gnarliest cases that changed lending and how people view properties. So Judd, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Kenny. Crystal. Great to yeah, see you guys. Good to see yeah. you. Yeah. Um, he's just here on vacation, so he did not fly in for this guy. So I'm not that important. <laughs> um, so Judd, can you give a brief description background of exactly uh, what you do and what kind of law you specialize in? Yeah. Um, first of all, I would fly in for you, Kenny. Sweet. <laughs> all right. You guys are like yeah. so special to me. And I'm so proud to be, this is my first podcast. Ah. So I, I do a lot of public speaking, talk in court, I talk in seminars and talk to my clients, but I've never done a podcast. And this may be the last, <laughs> but it's definitely the first. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah. And, you know, for what we do um, in that kind of law that I practice, it's, it's good to be known, but we like to be under the radar. Okay. I usually don't let the other side, figure out what makes us tick, you know, uh -huh. give them our secrets. I don't like, we don't, it doesn't benefit us to share this type of knowledge. Yeah. I mean, if you, you think of the, uh, the devil's advocate, remember that movie? Al oh Pacino? yeah. Yeah. You know, what does Al Pacino say? He says, never let them see you coming. So by us talking about this, I'm giving your audience a little bit of what could be coming if something goes wrong on one of their properties. I'm doing that for you guys because I care about you so much. And, and also because what inspires my firm and my practice is really helping people. So if we can help people, and when I mean help people, preventing things like the Surfside Collapse, preventing other types of, you know, even the smallest injury can derail somebody's life. Yeah. You know, so safety first is really our philosophy. Um, to answer your question about what we are and what we do, uh, we're trial lawyers, which means that we built our reputation going to court, going to trial, and putting it all on the line in front of six strangers. In Florida, we use a jury of six people. So if we have to, we go to trial and we let the jury decide who's right and who's wrong. And the way that we get paid as trial lawyers is if we lose, we get nothing. So that business model right there tells you that we have to win. It, losing is not an option because we get nothing. Our client gets nothing. Everybody crashes. Lose, lose. Lose, lose. So the stakes are high, brings out the best in, in the lawyers, and it brings out the, the best result for the clients. It's kind of like us too. I mean, we're in financing your real estate. If, it, if a deal doesn't close, you, you don't, don't get, get paid. paid. You're paid. basically putting sweat equity in until the day you close and you get the check and, you know, hopefully you can even recover your check or we get paid. But, <laughs> yeah. um, that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. In financing, you know that they're shopping. 
you know that these oh, people yeah. are coming to you and, and they may not tell you or they may tell you. It's it's nicer when they do tell you, but they may not tell you and they're shopping four or five institutions. You guys are going to win because you know what you're doing and you have that experience and you understand how to get the deal done. Yeah. We're motivated to win for sure. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, why did you pick this type of law? I wanted to go to court and, you know, you get out of law school. Who, who thinks to themselves like, oh, somebody breaks a shoulder and you get them X amount of money and whatever million dollars, whatever it is, yeah. you know, you don't you don't grow up thinking that way. But I grew up um, with the with the desire to be a trial lawyer, to go to court. And then if you want to be a trial lawyer, you really have two choices. You can be a criminal defense lawyer, which would be exciting. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I would I love to yeah, do I like bet. a big you know, criminal defense murder case or something like that. And maybe I will one day. Or you can do the civil law, which is personal injury and civil disputes over money. And I got lucky that I started to work with my uncle who gave me a foot in the door. And um, from there, he kind of taught me, you know, hey, look, this is the way you want to go. This is the best way that you can fulfill all your desires, which is like help people get in front of juries, practice being a trial, you know, practice going to trial and still you know, not have to deal with that criminal element. So well, I think there's like some danger in that too. Just, I mean, one of our friends is a head DA of Riverside County. So you yeah. hear all this and he's got security at his house yeah. and all this kind of stuff. It's wild. Security for sure. Oh yeah. 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 But it's kind of like, I just want to point out, I think like in Florida, it's similar to here. I mean, personal injury attorneys, like there's billboards everywhere. It's a massive thing. I mean, pe whether people are getting hurt on the job or getting hurt on their property or like various other things, like uh, personal injury is like probably, would you say like one of the most, not necessarily like lucrative, but like probably one of the biggest areas where that you see the most cases and that's the same in California too? I think it can be both. I mean, it's high risk potentially high reward. Mm -hmm. So um, for instance, like if we have a case, let's say it's a medical malpractice case, something bad happens and a doctor's responsible. We'll, we'll shell out $500,000 of our own money and our, all our time, hundreds, thousands of hours litigating that case. And we don't know if we're going to get zero or we're going to you know, win what the client deserves, tens of millions of dollars. And then, like, as it gets closer to trial, the stakes build, right? So closer to trial, they'll say to you, hey, um, we'll give you five million bucks. And you're thinking, all right, five million bucks. Now all my, my time is paid for. My costs are associated. You know, they're done. My client gets X amount of money. But your client says, you know what? I want 15 million bucks. So now, you know, it's not just the money you spent, but you're also risking that fee you would have made on five million bucks, all the money that would have gone to your client. And now it's like you have more to lose. So I, I think for personal injury lawyers, the reason why they tend to make the most money out of all the different types of lawyers is because they've taken the most risk. Yeah, that's that's interesting you say that. But I feel like a lot of people push for the settlements. They do. So is that something you push for? Or like, what's your philosophy in terms of settling versus going to trial? Yeah, our philosophy has to be the opposite, right? <laughs> so what we do is, and like, it's your philosophy in making a deal. The, the philosophy has to be from day one, right? I meet with a client day one. What am I doing? They come in, they're sitting at my desk the same way you're sit, we're sitting here. And they're telling me their story. And, and what I try to do is, at that moment, I visualize my closing argument. 
So as I'm talking to them, I'm not thinking, oh, we're going to settle this case for X amount of money and flip it and go on to the next one. No. What I'm thinking about and what I, what I preach in my office is start my closing argument. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you now heard the story of Crystal Simpson. <laughs> you know, what did she do? She's an innocent victim here. She's here because of the negligence of that landlord. Mm -hmm. That landlord who did what? Put their profits over people. Cared more about the landlord's pocketbook than the tenant's own health. And why? So that he could make an extra 100 bucks a month instead of getting this problem fixed, the leak in her roof, the mold on her floor, the problem with the concrete in the building. It was all about money to them. And now what happens? The jury in this case, you guys get to decide, is it all about money? Teach them a lesson. Yeah. Tell Ooh. them the money needs to be for safety. And then Crystal wouldn't be here today. She'd be doing her own thing, raising her two beautiful daughters with her lovely husband. Mm -hmm. But she's here now because her landlord only cared about money. So those are the types of things that I'll start analyzing and breaking down. Trial mind, you know, we start our trial mind early so that we're not caught with our pants down right before trial, like saying, oh, I wish we would have settled, but now we don't have a choice. we got to take a lowball offer. Mm -hmm. So you gauge like the risk with the client, like what, like let's say you get to that point where you get that offer, that settlement. So you are, sit down with the client and gauge the risk and go through that and figure out the next step forward. Yeah, always, always. And so even though, you know, we become part of the case as the lawyer, it's always the client's case. So we always kind of, what, what we like to do, and, and I think this works for all businesses, and I'm sure you guys do the same thing, is we like to keep our clients educated every step along the way so that they know what decisions are going to be made and why. So if, if you're managing a property, right, and you hear a problem, something going on, you're going to fix it, but you're also you're thinking, well, we may have to invest another $250,000 into concrete work. Let me start telling the client about it right away. Yeah. So all those types of things happen in the legal world, right? Right. They'll find some piece of evidence that's either good for our case or bad for our case. I'll try to tell the clients early on what's going on. And then by the time we have to make a decision about settlement, we're, it's kind of like it's already made for us. Mm -hmm. We're not there's no surprises. Well, I know it's it's interesting because I think most people that sue someone, they want justice and they want to go to trial. But a lot of times, especially if you feel really wronged or whatever, but I think it comes down to money for most people is that, you know, trials are expensive. And so if they have to pay their attorney, is that the reason that you see most settlements or are your clients not paying you along the way? You're essentially shelling out cash. Um, yeah. So my clients don't ever pay me. Okay. I, I'm, I do everything on a contingency agreement. But you bring up a good point, right? So the system was made to allow the juries to decide what's going on. And what's happened is you talked about those billboards and you talked about all these lawyers out there and how the marketing is like, you know, oh, there's mold in your house. Let's file a lawsuit. Let's do this. Let's file a lawsuit. And it's clogged up this, the, the legal system. So to get to trial takes years now where in the, you know, when I first started, it was a lot easier. Then... You've got the insurance companies, which all you know spend so much money on experts, and then we spend so much money on experts. By the time you get to trial, the, the financial aspect of it sometimes doesn't make sense for either side. Mm -hmm. you know? 
So that's why settlements end up probably 90, 95% of the time. I don't know if this is a question that you can answer, but like, what do you think about the attorneys that are hired by the insurance companies? Because we've (laughs) had to go through them on some cases. And you just never know what you're getting. Well, that's probably your answer right there. You never know what you're getting. That's a great question. Um, You know, I, I wonder, I wonder what motivates someone to do their career, mm-hmm. right? I know what motivates me. What motivates me is helping out these people, right? Helping out my clients, making them feel like they have a voice. When you work for an insurance company and those lawyers are billing by the hour, I don't know what what makes them feel good about what they do, other than the fact that if there's fraudulent claims and they can fight those fraudulent claims, I'm all for it. But if somebody has a legitimate claim and the insurance company lawyer is just fighting to save the insurance company money um, and billing their hours, to me, I'll never understand that philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know, for all the money in the world, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Right. If they were to say, we'll give you whatever it is, 10 million, 15 million dollars a year, flat fee. All you got to do is do this kind of work. I'm not interested because it's not fulfilling. It's not fulfilling. Yeah. Right. You know, like, why do you wake up in the morning? And I, in my experience, they all, they're always pushing for a settlement. Like, that's all they want is just yeah. let me throw a little bit of cash at you and just make this thing go away. It, it's 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 so reverse in their motivations because here's how it works, right? The the plaintiff lawyer, which is what I am, right? We're the ones suing. We only get paid when the case settles, right? So we get a percentage when the case is done. We get our third or 40% when the case is done. The insurance defense lawyer, and a lot of your 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 audience has dealt with this, right? Mm-hmm. They're not motivated to settle. And let me tell you why. Because the longer the case goes on, the more hours they can bill and the more money they make. Mm-hmm. So they may feed bad information to the insurance companies to get the insurance companies not to settle so they can drag the case on and make more money. Wow. So, so whenever you're dealing with a lawyer on either side, right, or anyone in business, you know, really anyone you're interacting with, the first question you need to ask is what are their motivations before you can really approach them in any type of negotiation, right? So you know, so if I go to a table right this, right, so we go settlement talk, right? Here's the file. Here's Crystal's file. Sorry for using your name. Right? <laughs> I'm the victim. You're the victim, right? <laughs> so here's Crystal's file, right? We're here to talk, right? We want 10 million bucks for Crystal, right? So on the other side, usually I'll have a team of lawyers against us, but one of them will be the uh, the um, the head lawyer for the insurance defense, and then I've got the real audience, which is the insurance adjuster. So they're the ones that write the check. When I go to these mediations and these settlements, I'm not talking to the defense lawyer. I'm talking to the person with the check. And it, it's not uncommon for us. It depends on the circumstance. But for us to point out the what we call really a conflict of interest. So I'll say to the person with the check, hey, head of um, Chubb Insurance. Right? You're the head of Chubb Insurance. You're the largest, most powerful insurance company there is. You understand that if we settle this case now, you're done. Not only do you not have to worry about the risk of putting Crystal in front of a jury because she's going to smoke anybody in front of a jury, but you don't have to pay this lawyer next to you who's billing you at 
you know, whatever an hour for the next two years that this case is going on. So it makes dollars and cents for you to rather just put that money on the table now. And then anything that the lawyer says kind of has less value because the lawyer is shown to be not an interested party in trying to settle the case. Interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. I'm always on the other side. Yeah, you, know. you don't know what you don't know. You don't know yeah. what you don't know. And, and yeah. so you don't know that those lawyers are really, um, you know, driven by their fees. So you got to, you know, say sometimes it's good, right? If I'm in your shoes and I own all these buildings, that, you know, and you guys are involved in all these um, property management deals, right? So the lawyer comes up to you. What I would do is sometimes say, hey, can I talk to the adjuster on this case? Why do you need to go through the lawyer? Talk to the person who's writing the check. Say, hey, look, I don't want to sit for three depositions. I don't want to have to give all my records. Can we just try to settle this case if it's a valid case? Yeah. You know, and the adjuster might just close the deal right there. I see. Okay. So it just says, like, on the flip side, just because you are representing plaintiffs all the time. Yeah. So landlords would be like us. What would be like some of the advice that you have that you've seen for landlords just to make sure? I mean, I know anybody can sue anybody for any reason, but how do you limit your liability as much as humanly possible as a landlord? I would say have good insurance. That's the key. Because you, you honestly, it's so hard to protect against human error. A lot of these things, these cases... You know, somebody gets really badly hurt or killed and loses a family member. Most of the time, it's not intentional. I mean, when we dealt with this Surfside collapse, nobody's saying that anybody meant for the building to go down. You know, I mean, a lot of these people were neighbors and friends and, you know, they lost all the all these fa friends and family. They didn't mean for it to happen. It's human error. Mm -hmm. All right. So the only way to really protect against human error is to have good insurance. So. Get the best insurance you can. Don't go cheap on that. Get the highest limits you can and start there. Next thing is I would definitely consult with somebody with your type of experience about risk management. I mean, your brother's in the yachting industry. He's got 30, 40 boats. Floating in water. Floating in water. Where does he spend probably 20, 30% of his time doing risk management? You own properties, you've got to walk around and just try to do a risk management analysis every week, every day. Have processes in place. Recognize when things are potentially going to fail and take care of them. Be proactive. Don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let, I wouldn't, you know, that theme that I talked about in your closing argument about profits over people, that's a very powerful theme. And that's what we see a lot in my cases. We see that Owners of property or people in charge of managing property um, will try to save a few bucks and it ends up costing them a lot more in the end. So th those are the probably the three pieces of advice I would give. I mean, that's what basically in that big case, that's kind of what happened. They just decided not to probably fix things and just delay them or something like that. It was probably pretty expensive, I'm guessing. And then they just thought, OK, well, maybe we can kick the can down the road a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. I um, well. There's that that's a very complicated analysis, right? So that case, let's talk about Surfside for a second. Sure. You've got a building that is 
50 years old. I don't remember how many years old. So, yeah. Very old building that was built very poorly. I mean, you're going to see from the NIST, the federal investigation. I mean, this case is done at over $1.2 billion, right, in less than a year. That's Money crazy. will be paid to these victims' families within the next two or three weeks. That $1.2 billion that the lawyers and, and my group of team collected is all going to be gone and in the right hands in the next two weeks. Wow. That's, that's, that's fast. It's unbelievable. It's rocket speed. It's not fast. I mean, no one has ever handled a case like that ever in this type of speed with that kind of results. So that's how bad it was or how serious the case was. That's how serious it was. But remember, getting back to the beginning, it's an old building that crumbled probably in large part due to the way it was built, shoddy construction, and the homeowners had very little insurance. They only had $18 million of insurance to pay all the wrongful death victims. So for your audience, right, everybody's thinking like, oh, well, the building was bad. You know, oh, it must have cost a lot of money to repair it. Guess what? The people that paid the $1.2 billion, for the most part, weren't associated with the building. They didn't build, they, they didn't build it. Most, a lot of the money came from the building next door. The, the building next door and the construction that they did and the way that they didn't monitor their vibrations. If you're listening to this and you're building a building and you don't realize it, you can be responsible for your vibrations weakening the building next to it. What? That's crazy. There was, there was discovery, right? So discovery is basically like once we get into the lawsuit, we can subpoena the records stupid little notes you know we we subpoenaed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of documents from the construction next door from the city that provided the zoning from the security company that was supposed to have the security guard there from the alarm i mean i mean i could go on everybody hundred thousand documents one document right we found a memo where the guy and i'm i'm summarizing you know but the guy who was doing the the, sh- the piling in the building next door said, hey, the, there's complaints, something along the lines, there's complaints. And he said in his thing, and I don't know if I could say this on, on air, he said, fuck it, we'll buy, them, buy him a new pool. He said, fuck it, we'll buy. And it's in the oh my gosh. Note. That cost them hundreds of millions of dollars. And it may have cost 98 lives. You know, because the mindset was, and it's not uncommon, we're building a building, it's rattling the building next door, fuck it, we'll buy them a new pool. But what they didn't realize was that building next door was a very weak building. And it had structural problems that it would not have collapsed but for this construction next door. So now this construction next door, everyone associated with it has to pay whether they like it or not. Because in Florida, the way it works is we have comparative fault. So comparative fault means you may not be 100% at fault for the building to collapse, but if you're 5% at fault and the case is worth $2 billion, that's $100 million you owe Wow! from the pot if you're 5% at fault. That's crazy. 
Yeah. And what's crazier is in this case, and I've never seen this done before, and I've never heard of this being done. Uh, at one of the hearings, the judge who was very involved, he gets all the defense lawyers together. He says, all right, I want every defense lawyer here. And I don't want the defense lawyers by themselves. He goes, because he's aware of the, the, the connection between the defense lawyers and the, and the insurance company. He says, bring the defense lawyers, bring the insurance companies. I want them all in court. Beginning of the thing never happens. Judges don't even care about insurance companies, right? So, so they all come to court. And you know, he goes, he goes, I got homework for you. I want you to go home over this next six days and tell me how much it's going to cost you to fight this case. How much is it going to cost you in experts, in attorney's fees, and all this stuff? And they came back, right? And they were like $150 million to fight it. To fight it, just in attorney's fees and experts. I mean, we had geosonic testing, I mean, all kinds of things, excavations. I mean, experts coming from all over the world. And he goes, you take that $150 million, you give it to these victims' families, and you find a way to get the rest of the money. Because I'm not going to let you be stupid in my courtroom. You must I'm, be just shocked. I mean, and I mean, everybody was like, "What? How can the judge tell us to do this?" And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you know, the, the numbers. They have know, the power. Giving you the, the general thing. The he do doesn't it. have the power oh. to do it. He's, he's saying it. You know, he can't force them to pay. But he's saying he's like, "You'd be so stupid not to do it." You know, why are you going to fight this thing out for ten years? Cost one hundred fifty million dollars, and you're going to lose anyway. To some degree, why not pay it to these victims' families now? Yeah. You know, and it worked. It worked. I mean, he he saw through the bullshit. He saw through the red tape. Most judges want to sit on the bench and just let things happen. Mm -hmm. This judge was so spectacular because he wasn't on the bench. He was in the freaking, he was in your face, no matter what, making you do this stuff. I mean, day one, he told every lawyer, this is the only case you're working on. I don't want to see you in my courtroom if you have something better to do than this. I'm not talking about your family, your friends. Nothing matters in my courtroom. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about your vacations. I don't want to hear about your other cases. If I said it, he goes, he's, he gives people 24-hour notice. You have to be on call all the time. You have, if you're on this case, this is your life. And that's what it took. Wow, that's. Do you think that what he did that because of it was so publicized? This was like almost like a world. Well, event. it was so was, tragic yeah. too. Not, Boom. Yeah. That's why, huh? He doesn't care about the publicity. It was the ninety. It's the ninety-eight families that he didn't want to go through this legal system ringer for ten years, like every other case of this nature. Yeah, you're. You're. I don't know if you know this. No, I get this wrong. Your governor, DeSantos, he doesn't live down in Miami. He lives in somewhere in northern Florida. Yeah. When, until they found or get, got all the bodies, he flew in every single day, got up every morning, flew down there every day, and flew back home to be his family to go down there until that thing was done. He said, I don't know. Wow. It was that big of a deal. I mean, it was a shock to everybody. And um, he was right in the heart of South Beach, right? It's it's right outside of South Beach. Okay. So Surfside is, it's literally on the edge of South Beach. 
and and the building next door was in in it was Miami Beach, not South Beach, but in Miami Beach, um, and the building that collapsed was in Surfside, so it's like it's right there, um, but. I think the hardest part of the case for me personally was becoming close with the families, hearing the stories and, um, you know, the needless and the senseless uh, loss of life. You know, I mean, I don't even want to get into it. It just, it hurts so much to even talk about uh, how. Yeah, because you have to go through every story because you have to hear it. Yeah. And you just, you just become part of the story now. Right, like these people have lost their their son, who, who, um, twenty one years old, Ivy League graduate, um, buried under the rubble. Found twenty one days after the collapse with no broken bones. How do parents comprehend that this this universe, this God that we believe in? allows something like that to happen. Like everybody says, you know, everything happens for a reason. What's the fucking reason? Yeah. What's the fucking reason for that? Yeah. Um, and then, so you, you really, you know, and, and it, it's moms talking about like the, the, the way they love their daughter so much and like saying goodbye to her, her daughter, like, all right, I'll see you in a little bit. And it all happens so fast and it's just, it's, it's really... It, it, it wears on everybody associated with the case and it really inspires the, 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 I think the best lawyering and the best judge to try to make something, you know, the, the best we could out of the terrible situation. And he wanted to make sure the people that were there that were defending or part of his case were like just as passionate and anything as he was. Yes. Everybody, yeah, everybody, not, even the defense out. lawyers, get out. Yeah. even the defense, he wasn't going to tolerate any games, you know, that, that talk that what I talked to you about, the motivation between the defense lawyers trying to bill and make more money. He wasn't going to tolerate that. And they, they really stepped up. They, they recognized that in this case. And they said, forget about trying to drag this on. Let's, let's do the right thing. Everybody did the right thing. Well, and like you said, I, that's like the absolute worst case scenario. And it's just interesting. You mentioned, cause being in property management, we had, every type of owner ranging from the guy who was like so cheap wouldn't even you know like fix the most minor but like safety things in a yeah. in an apartment or a house or the people who just want to get it done and um it's interesting you mentioned about the insurance because when i met kenny he was really big on insurance and i think i had like progressive insurance or something on my yeah. my car and he's like that's ridiculous that needs to change right now then he's t- telling me about you, you know, my brother's best friend. He's the in- no, you know, it's always a pre- injury yeah, attorney. Like so, everybody. so we have so there. much insurance. Like I tell people all the time, because I've had clients who say insurance is a scam. I have owned property for 30 years and I've never had a lawsuit. And that same person oh, who said that, well, that same person who said that, like proceeded to get like five lawsuits yeah. a few years later, yeah. like ranging from like workers' comp. He was on the news for being a slumlord. Like yeah. kids yeah. were on like you know it, oxygen it, it because of the mold. Him, it all this millions and reputation. So and I yeah. and I do like every every year when we have to pay our insurance, we have so many damn insurance policies. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. We have umbrellas and E and O and liability and building coverage, like all this stuff. And I go like. God, like really it's hard because you pay it all every year but you you think like you're right that one time you need your insurance that's going to be the time that who cares if you're paying 15 20 30 thousand a year for your insurance like you'll pay that back on one case 
Yeah, it's a it's a tough situation. I hate to hear it because as a small, you know, relatively small business owner, I hate to hear that like costs that you may not use end up taking away from, you know, salaries you could pay your employees and all other things. You know, it's a, the in- insurance industry really um, they don't share a lot of information on where do they get their rates from? You know what? What inspired like they just kind of they they they. It's almost like the health insurance. Yeah. Same thing. Well, yeah. they have so many exclusions. Yeah. Like, and oh, then what about thing, water? Yeah, mm, yeah you well, pay for depends. all the insurance and then it's excluded. Yeah. I mean, it's a racket. It's And, and that's that's another thing that motivates me, you know, is like to, to make sure that they're held accountable. To, to Then they don't even want to pay. Then, like, you paid for all that premium and, and there's a legitimate case and then they still don't want to pay. Mm-hmm. So, on this topic, if... To dive in, if you have a building or have something and something does just go wrong, it's not your fault, yeah. and somebody has to go, something happens bad, and they have to hire an attorney, and they're going to come after you, yeah. um, there is the insurance. So a lot of people that we talk to, um, what should be good to know is, yes, there's insurance, but there's also like, well, if my property is in an LLC, could they come after me personally? Am I really protected? So I guess we can call it a a firewall and our whatever we're going to call it, right? If, if it, they, they think we're being shielded, right? So yeah. you're an attorney. Um, let's say something does happen to somebody personally. Are you, when you look at that person, unfortunately, and you go like, hey, somebody, this happened. I, we have to come after you because there's damages here. Yeah. Are you looking at their insurance? Are you looking at their person? Like, what do you look at? And is there even walls to protect them? Yeah, definitely a corporate structure does protect. You, it's very difficult for an attorney to what we call pierce the corporate veil. So if you have your properties in an LLC, for the most part, you're personally going to be protected except for the assets of the properties. So it's very important. I think step one, you don't want to, I don't think any sophisticated buyer of commercial property is going to have the properties in their own name. So that's a good thing. And I would put every property in a separate LLC. That was going to be no, my next question. Why, literally, because you're like, because if you see somebody, oh, they got 10, you're like, I've got 10, to, I got 10 to work with. That's how you look at it. Well, the if property A LLC, right, does something wrong and somebody gets hurt or they, they, they have exposure, right? All the assets of property A LLC could be responsible. So if property A LLC owns four properties, they're on the hook. But if they only have one, that's all you can get, which is, is it's so in California, as you know, everybody talks about how expensive California is and tax wise and everything. So you have to pay like an $800 fee every year for your LLC. Other States don't charge that. So it's like a big discussion, believe it or not, with some of our clients, especially if they're just buying a five unit building or a 10 unit building, they're like, really, I got to like form a new LLC and do a new pay my CPA extra to file the separate return plus the $800 fee. Yeah. Um, they, they do charge like per property, even if it's like, you know, on your 1040. Yeah. If it's single, single member, they still charge you for it. So it's like this big discussion, but as you're saying, again, you might find yourself in this situation down the road. That's going to cost you a heck of a lot more than the $800 annual fee you're paying yeah, and a few extra hundred bucks to your CPA. liability here. So you, it's just, it's, it's a no brainer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not even a close call. Wow. Yeah. It would be, it would be like malpractice or neglect to allow somebody to do that 
to just buy multiple properties under one LLC when they could do multiple LLCs for 800 bucks. Right. Give me a break. Yeah. And yeah. it's just, it's interesting how like we can be so petty about these things when there's yeah. no problems. Right. Yeah. So when you have a problem, you're kicking yourself at the end of the day. So I guess That's the advice is, insurance. is, insurance is right. a, it's for when you have a problem. It's not for. Right. Well, insurance and then also like forming the, you know, an LLC, single asset entity for each property and all of that kind of stuff. Cause like you're saying is now you're crying about paying the $800. Like later on down the road, you're going to be kicking yourself that you didn't just pay it all these years. You know, one more thing I, I, I would recommend, right? I see a lot of people that go to lawyers because they fe- they don't feel like they're being treated as a human by the property owner or the doctor or the hospital or the person that hit them from behind or whatever it is. I mean, just, just in general, if if the property owner or the property management team has somebody like you guys who goes in there and makes that connection, hey, Mrs. Jones, how you doing? What's going on? Treats the, the, the resident like a normal human being. It's going to avoid a lot of problems I down the line. I can concur with that. Uh, Insurance aside, people don't want to go to a lawyer against somebody they like and they're friendly with and they have a nice connection with and is responsive to them. They want to sue the hell out of somebody who is rude to them, who demeans them, who doesn't accept responsibility under the right terms. So generally speaking... You know, if you own a lot of property and you treat the people that are in your property well, you're probably not going to get sued. You're probably, you can beat that, you, you're just not going to get sued because people want to be treated well and they will, they will accept something bad happening, you know, on a small scale and, and not do anything if they really like the property owner. That makes total sense. And we see that happen all the time. I mean, even with, people who stop paying rent and stuff like that. I mean, evictions, nasty, you know, and a lot of it's because the owner doesn't want to deal with the conflict and they don't want to deal, you know, they don't have time for that or the tenants being, you know, ridiculous or whatever they think. But like you said, if they just were felt human. human. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's not something you see as much as, as you should. And, And honestly, for, for people like us, who really enjoy being human with everybody, love love just people in general, it puts us at such an advantage in the business world when we can just like enjoy talking to everybody around us and, and be cool with people. And you're just you're so many steps ahead of everybody else. Yeah. Who either because of success or because of whatever, you know, they may feel that they're ego, above somebody yeah. else or ego, that they want to like kind of talk to somebody else a little bit down. Hey, you know, I, I don't recommend it, but if you want to do that, I mean, those clients are going to come to us. Yeah, it's the gratitude bird, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, speaking to that, you guys have like, whatever, over 700 five-star reviews. Yeah, and, and I know, and that's why when you said, and I, I agree with you, like probably the most successful people we know in all areas, they're very passionate what they do. They love they love what they do. They love helping. You know, your reviews said compassionate, caring, family, professional, amazing, speed, results, knowledge. The list goes on. Which I don't know any other attorney. I don't generally think you see good reviews I mean, for attorneys have, online. No, and I literally read through a lot really? of the reviews. Yeah, I read through a lot. I was like, great. you can't. 
Like you could probably fake 10, 15, 20 reviews and tell people to do it, but 740 yeah. or you, I mean, that, that would be like a full-time job, somebody like calling people and doing this. So you have people review. Um, yeah. I guess from like, a, a, you know, kind of switch switching is, um, it's like the company culture, your brand, we just talking about like, how, so you have all these attorneys and yeah. you're, you know, it's your, it's your, I know, um, this firm was, you know, your uncle, then you came in. Yeah. How do you, um, how do you push that to the other attorneys? Like, how do you get that? So, you know, that when somebody signs up a case with you or somebody else or get treated the same. Yeah. So it's, 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 it used to keep me up like all night really? like, thinking, well, just thinking like, like, Oh, well, I just, I just, um, I just bought an apartment. Right. So I'm, I'm a young lawyer. I just got out of law school. I bought an apartment how the hell am I going to pay for this? You know, my salary is <laughs> shit. I can't, yeah. I can't pay it off my salary. Um, and I'm not on TV. I don't know where the next phone call is going to come from. And, and my, my business philosophy has always been kind of word of mouth, you know, just, Hey, you win the case for the person like, Hey, go get me. You know, if you, if you hear of anything, I'm here, I'm your lawyer, you know, I'm out for you. And it, and it, it just snowballed. And it's just been word of mouth for the last 20 something years. And my uncle started 50 years ago, word of mouth. Wow. But then, you know, bringing up those reviews now with technology and the internet and Google and all that, word of mouth can be shown to everybody. Yeah. And like 700, like legit happy clients. I mean, that's a fraction of what oh, we do. Oh, I'm deal sure. With, yeah. You know, it's very hard to get someone to write yeah. a review. Yeah. But it's, it's easy if they're not happy. Yeah, they yeah. are. It's just you know. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you can't get rid of those. Yeah, you no. know, like delete, delete. Yeah. It won't go away. No, no. You know, um, and that's and I sometimes I think the unhappy ones are fake, right? Like some so your competition yeah, or something. Who knows? For sure, but I yeah. think that. Happens. I don't think we have any more unhappy ones, but it's all about word of mouth um, in our in our philosophy. And then the second philosophy is that that. Um, we don't necessarily judge the case on how big the case is, right? So at this point, the, the firm, we've handled the largest case in the country, right? This case, the Surfside case, we were the lead counsel, one of the, like, the three lead counsel firms, right? And it was the largest settlement in United States history on a single incident, right? <sighs> for, for one incident, it's the largest settlement. That fast. That's that fast. Insanity. But so you, a lot of people would they come to us and they'll be like, oh, I don't think you'll handle my case. It's not that big of a case. But in our minds, it's it's only about the relationship. Right. My relationship with this client, you know, representing Chris, I don't represent you. But, you know, like if, yeah. if, if I'm using your name, if I'm representing you, you're as important to my office and to me and to our firm as the biggest case or the smallest case. It's just about you. It's the relationship that counts. Um, so that's one of our philosophies. And then the other one is, you know, always remember the client's always right. You know, who are we? We're just, we're just there to help these people. You know, we're no better than anybody else. We have to always remember it's all about the client. Always the client is always right. Keep the clients happy, and then good things happen. That's really good. I feel like um, business owners and people tend to forget that, you know. I think you get your emotions involved and you feel, you know, wronged or you feel like you're mistreated, but then you're like, wait a second, they're the customer, so if they're not feeling good. Or or they feel like, and I've, I've had some lawyers talk to me about this, they feel like they can just pay for clients, right? Oh, I'll just put a billboard up. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll 
I don't know, pay Google ads or whatever it is. It may work at the beginning, but if you don't treat those clients right and they don't feel respected and feel like they're cared for and feel like they got a fair shake or feel that you communicated with them, they're not coming back. And you're just going to have to, your business model's flawed because you're just going to have to keep paying and paying for more leads instead of letting the clients you have continue to bring you more business. And then you don't even have to pay. Yeah, that's so true. And you're, you're, you're fishing from the same pond and then you have a bad reputation. It's yeah, you're not. Done. You're done. Yeah. What if you, um, <clears throat> like there's this case, it's always big, but what's your kind of takeaway from whether they're big cases, small cases, whatever, like what's the common takeaway uh, that's probably like people really don't understand from your point of view, just when it comes to malpractice or things going wrong, you know, there's something that we're like, people just maybe don't understand that are not inside your world, you know? Okay, so, well, I think a lot of people don't understand from the lawyer's perspective how important the whole team is. And I think from a business perspective, I mean, the lawyer is the mouthpiece. We're the ones that get to be in the news and be on, you know, podcasts, but none of it is possible without the receptionist being excellent, the people, you know, doing the research, the secretary setting the hearings. The officer makes the dream work. Teamwork. Right? Yeah. It, everything yeah. you do in this world, and if you're going to be successful in business and, and especially in the practice of law, high stakes litigation, it's all about teamwork. So I think that from a you know higher level management perspective, you have to spend a lot of time appreciating the, the commitment that the rest of your team makes. So that, that's, that's what I would say. Now, in terms of areas of law um, and what's growing and what's, what's not, I think that um, in the future, there's going to be less and less jury trials. And alternative dispute resolution is, un, you know, for my clients, unfortunately taking over. So what does that mean? Um, there's so much cost associated with going to trial that it becomes just like, a, 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 it becomes so pointless at the end of the day. And what the law is trying to do is get rid of those costs and send these cases to arbitration, right? So um, a lot of business owners are trying to use arbitration clauses to limit their liability, which works for business owners. And then instead of a jury trial, which is six people from the community, you just got some arbitrator deciding. And it can happen a lot faster and a lot more efficient under some circumstances. But it's not necessarily fair to the victim, but that's the world that we're living in now. Yeah, I know all of our like purchase contracts and stuff in real estate, they all have arbitration clauses and yeah. even like lease agreements and stuff. Which is that. basically like, all right, I'm gonna get screwed. Right. You know? <laughs> and I don't think people understand that, which is why we've had certain like clients that are like, I'm not initialing that clause. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah. So be careful. I'd say be careful, you know signing an arbitration clause, look at that kind of stuff. And then, you know, in contracts, here's another big thing that, that I always look for is attorney's fee provisions, mm -hmm. right? What does that mean? Um, a lot of contracts have what's called prevailing party attorney's fees clauses. Mm -hmm. And if you're the smaller, less sophisticated party, it could be really good or really bad for you, mm -hmm. you know, because... If you win, right, that means that you can fight over a small amount and you still be able to win. A lawyer will take the case because the lawyer can get all their fees paid by the other side. 
On the other hand, if you're a smaller, you know, negotiating party and you lose, not only do you lose your dispute, but you have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to the other side for their attorney's fees. We limited, we put a limit in our leases even for all of our tenants, like up to $2,000 of attorney's fees or something like that. And then the other clause that um, our attorney, uh, a real estate attorney had us add to our lease after we had a lawsuit um, was this clause. And I don't know what section or code of the law it is, but basically it's like, once you sue me for this one thing, you can't sue me for that thing again. Like that's done. And I don't know if that's something that yeah. you do, you see commonly or something that Some you advise. Like, it sounds like a, like a release or a hold. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's smart. Yeah. Smart. How do you, um, I mean, this is like going back to kind of being, how do you know, you know, hiring the best attorney? Yeah. And also we always say that is like, what are the questions you should be asking or what should you know when hiring the right attorney? I mean, I don't care. Just as this in just general. In, in general, yeah. right? Any attorney, yeah. Um, all right. So I think personally, you, I, would, I, would, I like an attorney that gives me his or her cell phone number. Yeah. It doesn't seem like much, but if, if the attorney is willing to give me his or her cell phone number, I like them right away. Okay. Because that means that they really, like, it's not just a, a job to them. Right. I mean, all the other stuff, like, oh, where'd they go to law school? You know, I mean, obviously use your common sense. Yeah. But I think a good little test, like almost like the Willy Wonka effect, yeah. you know, like, hey, which is the kid that's going to win the thing? Yeah. Is like the kid who gave back the, the, the secret candy. I'd say, you know, if you try and be like, hey, can I get your cell phone number? They say no, you don't want that attorney. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest issues I've seen with attorneys is like, they're so tough to get a hold of. Yeah. That's the thing. And like, you can't, like you you talk to them in the beginning, everything's great. And all of a sudden you pay the retainer. And yeah. 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 So here's, here's, here's our philosophy on that. And that, that is the number one complaint they do surveys right of the florida bar and all these bars they do surveys what is the biggest problem people have with their lawyers he doesn't she doesn't call me back right our philosophy in my office we we've we've handled that situation i'll share this gem with you this is a gem we never tell anyone we're going to call them back don't do it don't say i will call you back tell end the conversation hey can you call me back Put the onus on the other person, on the client to call you. And we'll always answer the phone call. I'll say, or text me, but I don't say, hey, I'm going to call you back on, on Wednesday because I'm going to forget. Yeah. 100% of the time. So just tell them, hey, call me back Friday, 5 o'clock. Or if you don't hear from me, call me on Friday. Because what happens is when I tell you that I'm going to call you back and I don't call you back, what happens? You just start feeling. You're mad. You're just like. He doesn't care about me. Yeah. You know, he's not calling me back. You know, what is it? And then it's just, it's yeah. boiling. Yeah. And then you get those angry emails. Yeah. You said you were going to call me. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, what? Why are we saying we're going to call people? Let's just stop that. We're not calling anyone. Call us. And then when you do call, it's a, it's like a blessing. They're like, oh, great to hear from you. Yeah. And and if you got, got if they got busy and didn't call you for a few more days, that's then on them. Feel, then it's on them. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. I you like know? that. So that's a good little trick. Yeah. That, you know, the, you learn these little tricks over it. W- that's the beauty of experience, right? Yeah. Like you're not going to learn that right out of law school or right out of business school. And, and you know, you, it just comes with time. 
eventually, right, you don't want to do the same thing over and over again and hope for a different result because that's insanity. But what you do want to do is learn from all the different, you know, bumps in the road that you have as part of a business owner and, and fine tune your approach. And we're always analyzing it, always analyzing our business approach. And, that's a good tip. Yeah. yeah. Um, kind of an odd question, but I just think about like people in general, I just around, um, like not everybody, there's just a group of people that are just constantly scared of being sued or liability. You know, we have these people and it's just, and you know what I had, I had a client say is like, he likes to keep debt on his property because he feels like if it's owned free and clear that people are going to want to sue him, (laughs) you know? So it's just like these weird things. It's a mindset thing, right? So I always say, well, I feel like people are scared or insecure because their lack of knowledge yeah. In that area. So what would you say? Because, you know, I mean, you deal with that. People are like just so worried about things, you know. It's a, it's it's not just a lack of knowledge, which is understandable because yeah. nobody knows this unless yeah. you're in this world. But it's also in my eyes, you know, which and I'm on a different side than, yeah. than a lot of your your. But but there's um, there's a lot of propaganda out there by the insurance companies that that shed lawsuits in such a negative light or focus on like these random you know baloney lawsuits and it's it's really insurance driven media driven there's a lot of you know fear factors out there so to answer your first point crystal that you talked about which is if somebody pays off their mortgage are they more likely to get sued the personal injury lawyer has no idea right there's no way to find out and it doesn't even cross our mind all right, so that's that shouldn't be a factor, um, and and really, so how does this come into play from my day to day perspective? It goes back to our day one experience, which is you get the client and you're preparing your closing argument, so you're preparing your trial, right? And how does trial start? The first day of trial, right? Everybody comes in the room. The judge is like, oh. Welcome. We're calling the case of Smith versus Jones. This is our jury. And this is where lawyers really focus all our energy on is understanding juries. Mm-hmm. Right? So what I have to focus on is finding those jurors that hate lawyers, hate lawsuits. Uh, you know, think automatically they hear of you know somebody got hit by a car well why did they run in front of the car you know <laughs> i got to i got to find those jurors and get them out or i'm going to lose guaranteed so um, i think that those beliefs that people have they're very deep rooted they didn't just come in overnight they passed down from generations they come at uh, thanksgiving talks and all that stuff I don't think they're necessarily accurate. They may be accurate in some ways, but most of the time, in my experience, they're not. But um, I, I think I wouldn't go around in life worried about lawsuits. As long as you got insurance, I think it's the insurance company's problem. And the only thing I would add to that is if it's a real big case and you feel like you have some serious exposure, I wouldn't just rely on the insurance company's lawyer because of the conflict of interest that we talked about earlier. I would get my own personal lawyer on the side, probably wouldn't cost much just to advise me through the process of defending a lawsuit. That's really good advice because I, like you said, we're not lawyers, so we're mm-hmm. just 
we have our piece and our side to say, and it doesn't always get conveyed because I, in my experience, I've learned that the, the insurance attorneys, all they want to do is settle. Like that's literally their entire focus is just settle. Yeah. I mean, look, what do you get out of not settling? If you have insurance and they're going to pay, it doesn't benefit you not to settle. Right. I mean, the only thing that could, it, it could only go bad. Right. Right. If you could lose big and it's right. more than your insurance policy, then what? Right. So, so let's go, let's talk about that real quick. Right. So let's say you have a case and it's potentially worth, it's against you and it's potentially worth 5 million bucks or 10 million bucks. Mm -hmm. You only have a million dollars of insurance. Now what? Right. Much tell us the question I was going to ask. Now what? Yeah. Now what do you do? Right? Do you start worrying that you're going to have to pay the nine million dollars out of your pocket? Maybe. Maybe. But the best bet is to try to get the deal done with the insurance company's money. So that's where you get your own personal lawyer in, and you tell that personal lawyer this case gets done with the insurance company's money not my money. And in Florida, we have laws. I don't know what, what it is in California, but in Florida, we have laws that in, if an insurance company decides not to pay and they should have paid, then if you do lose 10 million bucks, the insurance company has to cover it all, even if you only have a million dollars of insurance. Wow. So what happens in, in what you don't, what, what are people who are unsophisticated in this world don't realize some property owners may call the insurance company and be offended by the lawsuit. Oh, I can't believe these people are suing me. Oh, don't settle. Don't pay them anything. If a property owner does that and then the insurance company doesn't pay, property owner may be putting themselves on the hook for the million for the for the 9 million yeah. that's owed instead of the just saying let the insurance company handle it and then if they screw up, they're responsible. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, I like you said, I think I've always just kind of generally gone through the process however they guide me without trying to get my own person involved. Now, the interesting, one of the questions I have for you is just, so just as an example, I'll use our own issue. So when we sold our management company, we had it under a corporation, right? And then we just kept that corporation going. But then I got, when we had lawsuits, it was based on the period after we sold but because we were attacked, like, let's say that lease started under us, like the lease with the tenant was under us. And then at some point after is when we sold the company. So then I got get looped into these lawsuits. Yeah. So I was advised to close that corporation because then who are they going to sue um, after that? Is that really the case? And is that like a risk when you have like this kind of like old entity floating around yeah. where you have this liability after the fact? I'd close it out. For sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? You know, unless, yeah. I, I mean, if you're going to start something new, a new venture, right, might as well start a new corporation. Because even if you did sell, which hopefully you sold your liabilities and your assets at the yes. same time, right, you can still be brought into court. And then you have to pay a lawyer to get you out of court. Correct. Might as well just close out that corporation, start something fresh. Yeah. So, so like, like recycling your entities is not a good idea. I wouldn't. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's that's well, just a just question. You get dragged in just for right. technicality, and, you and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah saying, that's exactly what happened. You got to pay so. five, ten grand, whatever yeah. it is, to the lawyer to yeah. get you out. Yeah. If then, or and fight. Yeah. yeah, you might get dragged yeah. all the way down, right. and then you have a corporation with no assets going to court. You're you're spending real good money after bad. Right. 
Um, I was going to talk just, I want to dive in for kind of the last thing is like insurance. Cause I know you said get really good insurance and yeah. a lot of people are like, what in the hell does that mean? Yeah. So I think a lot of us like to talk about insurance. It's like, you know, you have your car insurance, you've got your insurance on your house, your building. And then yeah. a lot of us have an umbrella policy. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of us, you're like, Oh, I got all this protection. So it's like, great. We think we're protected until something happens. Perfect. And then you come, you know, you, somebody like you comes in the problem and says, well, let's see what these guys have. What does all that really mean? Like insurance, umbrella, like what does that mean to like us? What does it mean to you? Like, So the first, I think the most important insurance, just normal people insurance, right? And, and I know some extremely wealthy people who don't even know about this insurance. Everybody should have uninsured motorist coverage. You got that. That's the key. All right. Why is that the key? Because start protecting yourself, right? Uninsured motorist coverage means that if you're driving and somebody without insurance hits you and breaks your arm, breaks your leg, does something even worse, you can't come to work, you can get money from your own insurance company. I think that you should get the maximum amount of uninsured motorist coverage that they allow. Usually you're going to get, you know, in Florida, I think the limit's like $5 million. I mean, but it depends, you know, how much you want to spend. Yeah. It's not even that expensive. Yeah. It's really the cheapest insurance and it's the most valuable for your personal family. Then I, I think the insurance analysis has to be that the asset, you have to look at the value of the asset, the potential risk, and then the potential insurance that you need. So if it's a small value asset, it's a duplex, it's not a, you know, or it doesn't have 50 units or 100 units you probably are comfortable with uh, a million coverage, maybe a couple million umbrella. But, I would, you know, if the asset's only worth a million, you don't need liability coverage much higher than that, in my, you know, my thoughts. What does um, umbrella policy really do? Umbrella is important because okay. what so the way insurance companies work is they'll write a certain policy that provides initial coverage. And then if the claim goes over that, you have what's called an umbrella, which just increases the coverage in the case of that of a big claim. So that's what an umbrella is. And you definitely want that. Everybody should have an umbrella and you can get your UM on an umbrella. Yeah, and we evaluate it like every year. So if you're constantly buying more and your assets net worth or something's going up, you yeah, then it, right? you yeah. adjust it every year. You know, but it's it's also it, it it's you gotta be smart in your business. You gotta have multiple companies. You gotta sit down with your insurance agent. You know, we got a fantastic insurance guy, Ricky, that we use in Miami. Yeah. And he, he, he sits down and he understands it and he finds the best rates, finds the best insurance. And, you know, you got to have your insurance guy, you know? So, so in the world that we live in today, right, you can't, you can't do it alone. You got to have your, 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 your lawyer. You got to have your doctor friend. You got to have your insurance friend. You got to have your property management friend. You got to have your real estate investment friend. You got to have your stock market guy, girls, whatever it is. You know, you got to yeah. have your team together so that you're 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 feeling comfortable. You're walking around with your arm. You know, don't live in a bubble. You know, yeah. spread your wings. Have have your crew, and your crew will help you out. Yeah, because if something goes down, you can call them and yeah, yeah. You call your guy or you call. Hey, this person doesn't know that. Oh, well, my other friend knows somebody, and then it's just a it's a big network, and don't miss out on it. We don't we don't we're not here that long. It's a wonderful uh, life that we live and get to meet so many friends and and your friends' friends and your friends' friends' friends and just keep growing and you'll and all this will work out just fine. 
So true. It's like the same thing we say, even in real estate, you have to have a team, you know, you it's need your team. Thing. Yeah. You're yeah. only as good as your and team. I, and actually, yeah. uh, not even insurance, but you have a team, you have the right professionals that actually will reduce a ton of liability in Absolutely. your life and for sure and everything. Yeah. Um, if people want to learn more about your firm and you guys, um, best way to find you. And then you guys only practice in Florida. Yeah, call me on my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. No, we need we, the Drake song on yeah, that. Yeah, right, like, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's pretty good. We, yeah. uh, we, uh, we handle cases all over the country. We're licensed in Florida. We handle cases all over the country. And yeah. we, we team up with lawyers in different okay. states. So we, we, we're spread you out. You can do it all. So that's a good point, though. Like, even if you're not licensed in someone's state, at least you could be a resource to say, hey, look, this person you know who, is really you good. You know who the yeah. go-to is. And not only that, but we, we actually do the cases in other well, states, you know, but well. we just have another lawyer who's local sit down with us, and we we run the show. Cool. Yeah. Nice. And what's, is it a website? What? Goldbergandrosen.com. Goldbergandrosen.com. Is Goldberg your uncle? Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Let's take it. Yes. Um. Crystal, any other questions? No. I was honestly, uh, I was pretty damn shocked when you, well, obviously the vibration from the, That's why I, I've never, yeah. I mean, I didn't like study the case, but I've never heard anything like that in my life. Yeah. And I don't, so I'll give you just a, I guess, last little tidbit on the, on the Surfside case. Not only was the, the, um, one of the people responsible or companies responsible was the vibration, the people supposed to be monitoring the vibration. The lawyers for the condominium association got sued. Um, the security company that was supposed to be watching the building paid almost half of the amount of money. Wow. Um, there's so many different entities and different liabilities involved when you have a catastrophe like this. So, um, is what the money that came is that coming out of an their insurance companies probably yeah so this is like if you had a guess it's a hundred percent being paid from insurance companies from all these different companies essentially yeah not wow. a guess it is yeah and you just think you won't have any liability like why would a security company think like they're just making sure the property is like safe from like bad guys or something you know yeah. it's wild it was a unique find yeah that was part that was part of what our firm brought in so we are we were assigned to investigate the claim with the security company. And, and that's so. Yeah, and I mentioned to Judd and you yesterday we were walking that, you know, Fannie, Freddie, the largest lenders, and I know Crystal, I don't know, maybe stuff with you guys, they, uh, when this happened on their HOA form, used to say, is this in litigation, yes or no? You'd answer, now it's pre-litigation, this, this, that, because what's happening is, is now the HOA companies don't want to fill it out, so they say see attached. I think they have a letter from attorney that's drafted up because of this whole thing. Everybody realized who got sued, who was at liability, and so a lender's like, "Well, I want to know what I'm lending on." But then the HOA is like, "Wait a minute, if I say yes or no, I'm, I'm, I'm now liable. I'm liable. Yeah. So this is definitely, um, I think, changed the game and how people look at, it, especially like think about like you what you just said like for you you're like wow I didn't I would imagine insurance companies probably wrote some some more exclusions that's or like you know that's something how that's yeah. gonna be right yeah <laughs> they're figuring out exclusions yeah. right yeah, now exactly. they're, they're having their own exclusion pro podcast right like now. did you hear <laughs> well, 
how could we get exclude everything and still well, take all their money? Like I always laugh about that case. Did you read about that lady in like Alabama or something who got an STD in a car and so she sued Geico and then Geico wanted to settle and then they lost. They ended up having to pay her five million dollars because she got an STD it in a car. Fake. It sounds fake. It's yeah, like right. wild. Yes, don't believe and I'm like, uh, okay, so there's a new exclusion on your auto policy. Yeah. Yeah. Insurance yeah. is like, you need to get STD insurance. <laughs> yeah. Um, Judd, thanks for coming on. Uh, appreciate the time. Uh, congrats on all your success, honestly. Like, uh, from uh, my brother, from another mother, I look up to you and appreciate all you do. And honestly, just having you here and uh, going through this for us is uh, super helpful. And uh, if it helped me personally, hell, I'll take it. <laughs> hey, you know, um, it's, it's an honor to be a part of your team. And you guys are fantastic. And for those who haven't met you in person, you're just as wonderful in real life as you are out here. So... Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> That's it, guys. <laughs>